Well, welcome to class three, I believe. <laughs> I'm going nice and slow. We're still on the second chapter. And uh, the last we saw, this is the chapter titled Mother's Death and the Amulet. And last we saw, we talked about Yogananda's mother passing. We talked about what a kind of profoundly grief-filled moment it was for him and how in many ways it shaped his deep fervor and seeking for God almost to say, I realize that there is nothing in this world that is permanent, that is real, that will give me what I'm looking for. Boom. This is all I'm going to do. And so that's just happened. We also talked about how Yogananda's family, especially after his mother's passing, he had a very just a non-supportive family constantly blocking and trying to dissuade him from the path that he has chosen and oftentimes a little sarcastically, mockingly and just how beautifully he kind of floated through that, maintained his own ideals and principles, never kind of stooping down to meet that energy at that same vibration. So as we continue now, we're on page 17, at least of this particular version that we are working out of. And uh, there's this sweet moment where Yogananda talks about, you know, the shift also in his father. So you see how the loss of his wife also starts to transform the father a little bit. And he says over here, father never remarried during the nearly 40 remaining years, assuming the difficult role of father-mother to his little flock, he grew noticeably more tender, more approachable. With calmness and insight, he solved the various family problems. Now, the father so far was not involved at that level of the family. And often, I mean, I think I grew up in a family where my father had a very defined role and my mother's, it was much more my mother's role. Perhaps that's true for many of us, especially in India, there seems to be a very clear distinction somehow. Um, a lot of that is changing now, I believe. But uh, you can see how the father had his own transformation because above all, Yogananda's parents, they were disciples of Lahiri Mahashaya. They were, they were disciples of an avatar seeking liberation just as Yogananda was. So even the father's process towards freedom was being defined by this quite traumatic experience in the family. And it's sweet to see that happen, that the father had to kind of shift his roles bring in the more tender aspect. Now, when we're looking at Yogananda's family, see Yogananda himself was a monk, so it's through his father and mother that he's giving us a glimpse of what a family life could be if it's lived at those higher principles because he can't give the example from his own life of uh, having a family, having children. But it's nice that through his parents, and through his upbringing, we're getting to see certain aspects. He's not in any way saying, my family was perfect, my parents were just perfect, my father was the best, my mother was the best. And he's just showing how these tender moments also help transform everybody just a little bit. And it'll be fun to see in our own lives where those transformations come from. Sometimes painful, but always beneficial. There is another little moment in just the, you know, this shift of the father without the mother is where Yogananda said that I attempted to engage an English nurse. Now again, you can see the status of the family here. Back then, them being able to afford 
and that an English nurse would actually come and serve them. So that shows you the status of their family. I attempted to engage an English nurse to attend to details that would make my father's life more comfortable. But father shook his head and he said, Service to me ended with your mother. His eyes were remote with a lifelong devotion. I will not accept ministrations from any other woman. Of course, here you can see his father's yogic nature here. That the purpose that our union fulfilled is over. Now I'm not going to allow anybody else to take that particular role. Of course, it speaks a lot to his commitment. But more than anything, it speaks to his understanding of their relationship, he and his wife. The purpose and the meaning with which they came together. The purpose that it fulfilled and now the purpose he has to fulfill by himself. A lot of us, we come into relationships um, a little bit just out of desire, you know, either out of physical desire, out of society's desire, our parents' desire. And it's not like we come together feeling like, wow, we're going to really create something together. There's a lot of purpose here. And I know clearly why we are together. It's very nice to see with his father the clarity that he had Okay, this is done. This part of my life is done. I knew what the purpose was. We've been, we fulfilled it. We brought you into the world. I don't need this anymore. And of course, I'm not talking about us trying to figure out how we can be celibate or how we will have to kind of enact the same way the father did. But um, what's important here to kind of contemplate is what is the purpose of your relationship? What purpose do you as husband and wife bring? And if, especially if you aren't married, then what purpose are you bringing to fulfill both the father and the mother, to balance both masculine and feminine within you? It's a very important kind of contemplation to have and one that marriage helps solidify. But also, how are we otherwise going to keep manifesting those two realities, masculine, feminine, keep uniting them within ourselves? I want to add on that note, because in this particular case, um, Yogananda's father not only realized and knew that after his wife uh, passed, um, he was done. I, I felt such a depth in that understanding because for many of us, uh, once we think a relationship is not working and it needs to end or someone passes or our spouses move on, somehow we always have the hope and the expectation that, okay, we have learned our lesson. It didn't work with this person, but it may work with the next person. And we keep trying in the hope and the expectation that even if it didn't work out this time, it may work out in the next, with the next person, with the next uh, relationship. And in this case, Yogananda's father had completely overcome even the desire for or the longing of human relationship. That's one of the main karmic um, pulls that keep bringing us again and again on earth. I mean, to have to that point where after one relationship or after your marriage, you have realized that 
happiness and fulfillment, no matter how good may look in the relationship, it will never come from that human um, interaction or completeness, completeness, even though we have so many things to learn. But it, I really um, saw the greatness and, you know, the, the sense of he was a true sannyasi. And at the end of his life, he just, you know, realized that, that, you know, I, I just don't need to go through that experience again. I, I'm done. I have learned it. I'm now ready to, to really make a step farther, step farther and give my life completely, put my hands completely in God's um, hands, my life in God's hands. And I, I don't know, I thought I, I could perceive his spiritual statue stature. stature and another thing i want to bring up that i thought very interesting i don't know if you can see in this chapter here in the first chapter uh, yogananda you want me to hold yes please yogananda shows his father's picture and he writes his name and then he writes down below a disciple of Lahiri Mahashaya. Then when we go to his mother, he doesn't use he doesn't use her name. He only describes her as a disciple of Lahiri Mahashaya. And I really liked these subtleties that one can perceive because Yogananda, it feels he didn't um, identify his mother, put her in any specific form or any specific role. He rather acknowledged the um, quality that she had as being one of the greatest and devotest uh, disciple of Lahiri Mahashaya. And anyway, that's something that struck me that he didn't write her name. He didn't feel uh, something necessary and he wanted for us to remind his mother as what she really remember was and became what? Remember his mother. Remember his mother as a disciple of Lahiri Mahashaya. Anyway, very, very touching that part. Now we come to a very interesting moment. This is kind of going back a little bit into the past where Yogananda's mother has actually been harboring a few, you can say, secrets, uh, a few premonitions, a few messages that she received about Yogananda's life in the future that she never shared with him. But on her deathbed, just before she passes, she shares this with the eldest brother, Ananta, who you remember she was preparing for him to get married. And his mother says to Ananta, and this is Ananta describing to Yogananda the words of his mother, 14 months after his mother has passed away. So Yogananda had to wait a whole just over a year before he then received the solace of her message. And the words were, let this be, let these words be my final blessing, my beloved son Mukunda, which is what Muk Yogananda's name was. The hour is here where I must relate a number of phenomenal events following your birth. So this is Yogananda's mother's message to him 
as almost like, remember these as my final words. Don't remember everything else you've received from me yet, but these, this is my final message to you. One of those moments is when Yogananda is born and his mother takes him to Lahiri Mahashaya and first receives Lahiri Mahashaya's blessing. And Lahiri Mahashaya says, Spiritually baptizing Yogananda, little mother, thy son will be a yogi. As a spiritual engine, he will carry many souls to God's kingdom. So already you can see the parents knew what Yogananda was going to do. And his mother was the only one who cooperated with what she knew Yogananda's dharma was, what she knew Yogananda's mission would be. And even though his father too was a disciple of Lahiri Masha, it's amazing that that human karmic attachment is so strong that still he tried to stop Yogananda from fulfilling that, from being the yogi who will draw many souls to God's kingdom. I want to stop here because I feel this moment is extremely important in Yogananda's journey. I mean, this is a moment where not only he's receiving a prophecy or a message from his mother, I mean, he's really having one of the greatest confirmations that he could ever have. I mean, that message is going to keep him going until he really becomes what he became. I mean, it's like, it's like almost for all of us, when we need to make an important decision in our lives, whether, you know, to enter in that relationship or in that marriage or to change jobs or to have children, you know, whoever things we sometimes want to ask and, and we really need some guidance, some confirmations because, you know, everything is going to depend on that decision and our life can change drastically. I mean, it's so important for us to receive that confirmation and this is what exactly is happening here right now i mean yogananda is is just really longing i mean he has such an incredible desire to become a yogi and this is for him that moment where the universe god uh, and this is so sweet because not only is a message from the masters that this is something that must happen but he's also receiving the blessings of his mother. So he's coming at twice a blessing from the masters as a destiny that he has to fulfill and he should never doubt. And also the blessing of his mother as saying, you know, my child, this is something I prayed for. It's coming from Lahiri Mahashaya. You have everyone's blessings never for a moment doubt how many you know it doesn't matter how many obstacles you will find on the way you have my blessings and this is what is expected of you so anyway i thought this is like mm, very 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 important moment and her message continues and she says while our family was living in lahore one morning the servant came into my room. Mistress, a strange sadhu is here. 
he insists that he see the mother of Mukunda. Isn't that so sweet, the way he addresses her? I'm here to see the mother of Mukunda. These simple words struck a profound chord within me. I went at once to greet the visitor. Bowing at his feet, I sensed that before me was a true man of God. Now, again, you see here again, Yogananda, his mother, their ability to discern. And we look through every saint that Yogananda meets, every man of God that he means, meets, his ability to discern whether he's a true man of God or just somebody who possesses power and spiritual understanding. And this is a very fine distinction, each of us, especially if you have a guru or if you're, it is your intention to have a guru in this life, to ensure that he is a true man of God. Mother, he said, the great masters wish to you to know that your stay on earth will not be long. Your next illness shall prove to be your last. So already the mother knows. I mean, can you imagine? She's been told, kya hone wala hai? She knows she has just a few more months, years on this planet. Whenever she gets sick the next time, that's going to be her last. I mean, imagine the amount of power and dignity it takes for a person to know exactly what's going to happen. Something so drastic as a death, as a kind of, you can say, removal from this drama, from your family, from those you love, from the role that you've been playing, from every identity that you've created for yourself. And then being able to just accept that. There was a silence during which I felt no alarm, but only a vibration of great peace. Beautiful. Finally, he addressed me again. You are to be the custodian of a certain silver amulet. I will not give it to you today to demonstrate the truth in my words. The talisman shall materialize in your hands tomorrow as you meditate. On your deathbed, you must instruct your eldest son, Ananta, to keep the amulet for one year and then to hand it over to your second son. Mukunda will understand the meaning of the talisman from the Great Ones. He should receive it about the time he is ready to renounce all worldly hopes and start his vital search for God. When he has retained the amulet for some years and when it has served its purpose, it shall vanish. Wow, I mean, this is where the thrill of the book starts to come in here. What's this amulet? How is it going to come? What's it going to do? But there are some very interesting little things here. How God works, how his, I mean, on one hand, you could just think, you know, they could just give the amulet to Yogananda whenever they wanted. You know, why not materialize it in his hands when the time was right? Why first come to the mother, share with her what's going to happen with her life? You see, in the process of any soul's freedom, in the process of my freedom, in the process of Narayani's, in yours, many other people are going to participate. And many of their karmas and their, you know, ways towards freedom is going to be entangled with your own. So first you've got the channel of Yogananda's mother. She needs to participate in this process. She needs to accept what's going to happen to her. And that beautiful line, there was no alarm, only a vibration of peace. And then from her, and this is even more interesting to me, it needs to go to Ananta. 
You see, we are thinking, we are just reading here and we are like, oh, this is an amulet, it's meant for Mukunda, it's meant for Yogananda. But is it really only meant for Yogananda? No, it passes through the mother, she'll hold on to it for a while. It passes on to Ananta, a complete non-believer, the mocker of all things spiritual. His greatest opponent. Yogananda's greatest enemy and opponent in one way, you know, how Yogananda said, your old enemies often take birth in your present life so you can work out your karma more easily. Who knows what Ananta was to Yogananda. But he has to hold the amulet, he has to be the bearer of the amulet for a whole year after his mother's passing. Who knows what that's doing to him, even though on the surface he has nothing to do with this, he wants to push it away as far as he can. Only the reality is this world and making money and being successful. Yet, God knows that this is part of his own process. And then and only then, finally, does it come to Yogananda. I mean, I just find that fascinating and beautiful. And um, unless Narayani has something to say, then I'd like to add a few things about just the idea of what an amulet could be to for each of us. Mm-hmm. Before we move on, I want to stop just very briefly, uh, briefly again into this sentence. When Yogananda's mother receives the news of uh, her near, you know, death, I mean, her death is coming very soon, and she replies, I felt no alarm, but only a vibration of great peace. I mean, when you, when we receive really really bad news and i'm not talking about someone telling us we are about to die but you know something has been broken at home or the guy who had to deliver whatever didn't come and i mean just imagine how we react with those insignificant things imagine if someone would had to tell you such news And I want to bring out that what she felt, that vibration of great peace really came from years of meditation and practicing the teachings and a perfect attunement that she had with Lahiri Mahashaya to be able to embrace, to accept such news, I mean, knowing the consequences of her departing and yet be so poised, so unreactive and not only unreactive, but feeling like descending great peace as one of the greatest blessings she is receiving after hearing those news. I think this is a very important sentence for us to keep meditating about it to the fact that how will how will we receive when we receive um, bad news when we receive you know comments that we don't like i mean how do we react to them what, what do we feel within us and again i think this is a product of years of meditation and you know and deepening her practice and her attunement of with her own guru. And I think that's something that should be the goal for all of us, because all of us, eventually, we will receive those news sooner and later, or later, and not, not, not only for us, but, you know, our loved ones, uh, 
they will leave and sometimes in moments that we didn't expect. So it will be important for us to keep training ourselves to, to come to that point that whenever karma hits us, we'll be able to respond uh, with, you know, that kind of acceptance and dignity and spiritual maturity. Now, finally, I mean, let's just see the last line of Yogananda's uh, mother's message to him. Farewell, my child. Do not grieve for me as I as I shall have been ushered by my great guru into the arms of the infinite. The cosmic mother will now protect you. So beautiful. I mean, wouldn't we all be blessed to have a mother like that who just knows, has that detachment and that wisdom to just say, don't worry, the cosmic mother will now protect you. And she will, and she does all the time. And the moment Yogananda now receives the amulet, a blaze of illumination came over me with possession of the amulet. Many dormant memories awakened. The talisman round and anciently quaint. I want us to visualize this. The talisman round and anciently quaint was covered with Sanskrit characters. I understood that it came from teachers of past lives who were invisibly guiding my steps. A further significance there was indeed, but one does not reveal fully the heart of an amulet. I love those words. So let's look at this amulet. Now, again, you know, we, we read the autobiography. It's fascinating. We're like, wow, amazing. And this amulet, these miraculous moments. And of course, um, well, I didn't receive any amulet. No, my mother did not come to me bearing such, you know, messages from on high. But did I not receive any amulet? Um, in fact, I did. And in fact, we all did. And I would like to say that this very book for many us many of us is an amulet i remember in fact my mother bought this book many years ago for her own self to read it she read it it didn't particularly do anything for her you know it it was through her it came to her she too had to be involved in its energy but it wasn't meant for her necessarily at that time and Several years later, while that book sat in my house, year after year, on the bookshelf, every day I saw it, I don't even remember that I ever saw it or that it ever existed until the moment came when I picked up the book, I read the book and many dormant memories were awakened. I understood that it came to me from teachers of past lives who were invisibly guiding my steps. Each one of us has had amulets of various natures come to us, often in the form of books, but in the form of a person, in the form of something we saw, in the form of something we heard, in our meditation, if we already had a practice. So these messages are being delivered to us constantly and for many of us through the autobiography, and I'm speaking for myself essentially, I hope I'm speaking on your behalf as well, is that I read the book, I'd read many books before and many of them were like, wow, how lovely. But when I read this book, I was just like, oh, this is it. I have found it. 
the teachers of my past lives, they are guiding me. They have found me. And it took time. That's the other beautiful thing about this whole story is that timing is important. It wasn't for Yogananda's mother to give him the amulet immediately. It was for her to wait. She would pass, give it to the brother. He would wait for a year. He would hand it over. So you see, our timing, and this is what this sage says, he should receive it about the time he is ready to renounce all worldly hopes and start his vital search for God. Now, if I had received the autobiography of a yogi earlier on, I would have read it. I perhaps would have enjoyed it. Maybe not. Hard to say. Um, but I don't know if it, what it would do for me at that time. It was only when I was ready to, to renounce my worldly goals and begin my fervent desire towards a greater reality. I didn't know it was God at that time. That the book came and it did what it did. So know that you've had many amulets in your life. There've been many channels who've participated in these amulets coming to you. And know that timing is important. If you have even a little bit of doubt, I wish it had come before or no, if I had only known this before, it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have impacted you. So appreciate and respect the fact that it came to you when it did because only then could it work on you only then did the amulet have power and i love that last line there was another significance but one does not reveal fully the heart of an amulet and each one of us um when you're sharing anything that has moved you inspired you um keep a part of it still with you. Don't fully reveal the heart of an amulet. Certain experiences are very sacred, very personal, and oftentimes in just giving them an outward form, we kind of lessen the vibration of that experience. Just as if I have a thought and I have to put it in words, it does not fully express the thought, but now my thought has gotten stuck in those words. And the next time I think about it, I'll be kind of limited to the words or the outward form I gave it. Similarly with your experiences, don't constantly in this need to feel, to share, even to inspire others, keep a part of it always with you for that remains your sacred kind of gift that will grow in your heart and will continue to reveal to you purpose after purpose after purpose. Yeah? yeah. Okay. Then let's move on. Wow, we made it to the next chapter. You have want to start? Okay, we, we almost made it to the next chapter. <laughs> yes, there is one line here that um, I missed, but I wanted to make an emphasis. When Yogananda's mother meets uh, uh, Lahiri Mahashaya, and he tells her that her child would follow his path. And Yogananda's mother says, shortly before your birth, your birth, he had told me you would follow his path. So many people come to us at the center, or sometimes they write us bad. The kriya that you are you practicing, practicing which kriya is that for? Where, where is that coming from? Well, and we always say, and I would like to reinforce here, this is the kriya of Lahiri Mahashaya, the lineage 
comes directly from him. It is Yogananda's mission is blessed by Lahiri Mahashaya. And I'm so glad that it just it never struck me as strongly as it did just by reading this line, no? like he will follow my path. I mean, there is nothing that Yogananda has changed, has mm, manipulated in the, in the teachings, nothing like, you know, has been distorted. It's exactly the same. And this path, this lineage comes directly from Lahiri Mahashaya. You want to start the next chapter? This is an intense chapter because we can start already going through all the miracles and all the saints and all the visions and all these, you know, amazing mm, situations that Yogananda finds himself with other saints. And in this case, the chapter three is called The Saint with Two Bodies. Bodies. And what I have here, I like the beginning, the beginning when it says mm, that he will travel, that his father will provide, you know, first class passes to travel on the train. And what else? Anyway, the ability to visit many cities and pilgrimage spots. I mean, we can already see here from his childhood i mean the incredible karma he had just to travel everywhere that sense of adventure that sense of independence as a young boy like you know i'm free to go and to explore any place place i want every time he heard about any saint he just asked his father and you know the father provide the space and financially and how to reach to those pilgrimage spots and i i like to bring that out because we can see really yogananda's spirit already of just like a wandering sadhu wanting to visit all these places and swamis and saints and learned and absorb as much as he could and he was already bestowed with the ability to see and perceive beyond reality i mean you can only attract this kind of experiences this kind of saints in your life when you are ready to understand what's really going on at a much more subtle and energetic level where it has nothing to do with matter. So we can see already the little Mukunda just going everywhere and not wasting any time and just using his time as much he could, just visiting saints and learning and wondering like, oh, wow, and learning from them. Narayani touched on this, but you know that at this stage, Yogananda or young Mukunda is 12 years old. Now, I don't know if you would let your 12 year old son or daughter just say, okay, I want to go to Banaras, dad. This is how, this is the first line of this sentence, of this chapter. Father, if I promise to return home without coercion, may I take a sightseeing trip to Banaras? 12 year old boy. And again, you know, we're, these are these little lessons of, on parenting that I feel are so vital here. Uh, Narayani and I don't have the blessing of 
doing that or the karma it seems in this life but so many of us do and so many of you do and uh, I think a little lesson here for us is let us leave our children a little more freer than we would um, they have a soul karma a soul destiny and sometimes you know already from a young age we start to kind of reshape remold them under our own understanding of what life is and what we think these souls are meant to do which is my son's soul is meant to be a doctor and so now no matter what everything he will do from the age of six years old is to set him on the chai on the path to be a doctor well maybe he's meant to be a doctor maybe he's not but how will he ever know and how will you ever discover what hidden beauty God has bestowed in this soul and what fulfillment must this soul bring forth in this lifetime. So have at least a certain sense of detachment, not lack of responsibility in any way, to let your child be freer. I don't know if in today's day and age it's wise to let them go to Banaras at the age of 12. Back then things were slightly different. But nonetheless, whatever is happening in whichever way, Try to say, wear your hands a little tighter. See if you can loosen that grip just a little bit. Okay, so here Yogananda is now going to Banaras. His father has consented as long as he does not try to run away to the Himalayas. This is a standard clear message. You can go and while he's going to Banaras, his father says, I have a business matter to propose to a Banaras friend. His name is Kedarnath Babu. And unfortunately, I have lost his address. But I believe you will be able to get this letter to him through our common friend Swami Pranabhananda. So now Yogananda's father is sending him to Swami Pranabhananda who is also a disciple of Lahiri Mahashaya. So father and Swami Pranabhananda are brother disciples of the same Guru. So Yogananda is very happy both to get to go to Banaras and to meet this Swami. Do you want to say something? Can I go to the Swami story? Okay, so he gets to Banaras. He's arrived at the house of Swami Pranabhananda and Swami Pranabhananda seated in his salon meditating. Yogananda comes to him and he I knelt and touched his feet. Are you Swami Pranabhananda? He asks. And Swami pra nodded and said, Are you Bhagavati's son? His words were out before I had time to get father's letter from my pocket. In astonishment, I handed him the note of introduction which now seemed superfluous. And even before opening the letter, Swami Pranabhananda says, of course I will locate Kedarnath Babu for you. <laughs> and the saint again surprised me by his clairvoyance. So you are seeing here already these great yogis. Uh, one part of the autobiography of a yogi is, you've got this almost, you can say, Sangha of yogis and saints all being born together all being born locally, a lot of them in Calcutta, in and around where Yogananda grew up, and then a lot in Banaras, Lahiri Mahashaya, Swami Pranabhananda, Tralanga Swami, I mean all these people. It's like it was a unique moment at that time where all these saints gathered together. It's amazing that they chose to be born at the same time, within the same place, and Yogananda almost as you can say a conduit of introduction. We would never know these people exist if it weren't for this book. He's this conduit 
that kind of goes and touches each one of them, drawing from each one of them a particular aspect of the divine, a particular way to approach the divine, and in that process, kind of introducing us to this unique, you know, sangatan of souls that chose to come together for some purpose. And it'll be interesting for us, each of us, to kind of tune into, wow, what was that unique moment going on? So many of them all together kind of like in a bunch. Something must have been happening, be worth meditating on. So here he is already saying, I know who you are, I know why you are here. And he's not been told a single word. And then he talks about, actually, why don't you go into the pensions? Okay. Then the saint, you know, is just like, out of the blue, this is the first thing he says to him. You know I'm enjoying two pensions. <laughs> this is the way of the saints. Uh, the few uh, saints that Narayani and I have been blessed to have met. You oh, know, they're just off the top. No, no context, no nothing. Boom, this is what I have to say to you. You know I'm enjoying two pensions. One is by the recommendation of your father, for whom I once worked in the railroad office. So that's the connection between them. And the other is by the recommendation of my heavenly father, from whom I have conscientiously finished, for, for whom I have conscientiously finished my earthly duties in life. And so Yogananda says, what's the second pension? And the saint laughed and said, I mean a pension of fathomless peace, a reward for many years of deep meditation. I never crave money now. My few material needs are amply provided for. Later, you will understand the significance of a second pension. Now, a lot of us, you know, at that time, pension, of course, meant like what I'm going to do when I retire, right? It still means that. And many of us are essentially planning our lives. It's like everything I do now is to build the security and the means for me in the future at the time when I decide to stop working. At that time, I should be secure. I should be comfortable. I should be financially stable. And so, you know, it's just like all my decisions are just based on that one hope at the end of my life. And over here, he's stressing the need for the second pension. And a lot of us in the pursuit of the first pension lose our peace, lose any joy, lose the enthusiasm for life, lose the purpose and meaning of why we were doing this in the first place. It's so don't go seeking after that first pension. If you go in fact seeking after the second pension, making sure that that is what you're aiming for at the end of the life, you see my few material needs are now amply provided for. If I go for that in the Bible, the way Christ puts it is, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things shall be added unto you. So let's get our priorities right. And this is one thing that Swami Pranabhananda's life example is showing us. Aim for that second pension, and then that first pension will also be taken care of. Same story, same concept. But something that we should ask ourselves constantly, where do we think our true security comes from? I mean, this is something that we need to start shifting in, in our mind, 
in our meditations, in our daily life? I mean, where, where do we really um, want to connect with? I mean, with that higher power, we want to depend on that more or do we want to give you know all the power to material things to money to many other you know worldly things and this is something very important for us to come to that realization that once we know and come to that knowing that really God is the only one who is taking care of our lives. I mean, he knows us more than we know ourselves. He has created us. He knows what to send to us and what not. He knows what needs to be taken away from us. He knows when and what we need to bring into our lives. I mean, behind everything that we have, behind everything that has been taken away from us is God's hidden hand just moving the pieces of our lives to make it our lives believe it or not easier and everything that happens to us it has only only one purpose which is bring us to bring us closer and closer and closer to him so if this person is going to be an impediment between my relationship with God or in my um, journey go going more faster towards God, he's going to put it aside. If this financial bank account I'm thinking is going to give me everything and is going to prevent me from becoming closer to him, he's going to take that away so until we learn that oh wait a moment in fact that bank account was given to me by God's grace that person came into my life because God put it there for me so and we can start um, understanding and acknowledging that there is a really um, greater presence running our lives and if we start connecting more communicating more developing a deeper relationship with that higher intelligence i think our lives will be easier and when those moments comes as happened with uh, yogananda's mother when we receive you know very difficult news to digest uh, we will be able to respond with yes emanating vibrations of peace and understanding and calmness in whatever happens or is taken away from us great well guys we made it into chapter three that's a great victory for us i guess um i did want to say that if there are aspects of chapters that we're reading um, that you want to go deeper in or there are questions of parts that we may not have touched on, feel free always to write them in comments and perhaps in the next uh, class we're able to you know address them. Please don't ask questions of chapters that are yet to come because eventually we'll get there. Let's kind of stick with the flow that we've created. But there are definitely parts that maybe we did not kind of pick up on 
or they didn't kind of touch us the way perhaps they have touched you. And if you feel you would like us to address something from that, um, just reach out to us. We'd love to make this process also uh, include you in this process because that really is our hope here, is to include each of you as much as we can as we go deep into this book.